This is the WebHawk News Podcast for Friday, February 18, 2022. I'm Jim Cates. Don't take that mask off just yet, but be alert for possible changes to UW-Whitewater's COVID-19 protocols. The chancellor's order for masking and other precautions expires on February 28th. The Emergency Operations Committee is looking at easing those requirements, and any changes will be announced by next Friday, February 25th. Some Wisconsin school districts and local governments are loosening mask requirements as cases of the Delta and Omicron variants fall. The UW-Whitewater football team led NCAA Division III in both cumulative and average attendance during the 2021 season. The team drew nearly 70,000 fans to Perkins Stadium for home games. The Warhawks averaged 6,975 fans over 10 home games, including six in the regular season and four in the NCAA playoffs. The team's total attendance of 69,754 was nearly 18,000 more than in its closest peer. It's believed to be the most attended season in school history, passing the 2016 team, which drew 51,459 fans. All right. I would sing happy birthday, but you don't want to hear that. Today, <laughs> if we are looking at February 18th, the publication day of this podcast, is the one-year birthday of Perseverance, the Mars rover. She has been on Mars now for exactly a year and is doing some amazing things. A space case, Sarah Treadwell, is with us again. Welcome back. Thank you. And uh, I know uh, Perseverance is close to your heart in so many ways, <laughs> but one especially is that she is focused on the stuff that you are most passionate about, which is the the biology or the, the historic biology of the planet Mars. Have, have there been living organisms on Mars? And that is specifically the focus of her mission. And she's uh, blowing rocks apart, gathering samples, uh, wandering around on her her six big wheels, and I would point out, as you have, that she, that the rover is a lot bigger than most people yes. think. It's probably about the the size of a good sized SUV. Mm -hmm. And uh, you were fortunate enough to talk to a couple of uh, Perseverance scientists. Yes. Uh, Lydia and Aaron, uh, yes. both of whom are graduate students, and are doing some amazing things with the rover, uh, guiding her around, examining rocks, gathering samples, uh, helping uh, the scientists at, at, at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory figure out, you know, where we're going next on the mission. I understand uh, a, a, that the Perseverance rover has at least another good year to go in gathering stuff up. And to me, the most exciting part of the mission is that sometime in the fairly medium-term future, maybe six, mm -hmm. eight, ten years, we may be able to send a rocket to Mars, which will gather up all the samples that Perseverance has gathered and bring them back to Earth, yeah. which is beyond 
cool. <laughs> and that, so, that will be a first. Yeah, so tell us about these, these two young scientists you got to uh, interview. Yeah, Aaron and Lydia were um, phenomenal guests to have and talk about what they do on Perseverance. They both do uh, work in astrobiology. Aaron was more focused on, I would say, like geography kind of work. And uh, Lydia does more molecular science, more chemistry-based science. But they both were very eager and willing to share the work that they do on this rover. Essentially, they work on Mars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I was just like nerding out. I, I, you know, I just was like, you guys are so cool. You're like rock stars. <gasps> that was a pun. You're like rock stars. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Mars rock stars. Yeah. And the, the, the amazing thing is if you see the video, and, and NASA is very good at video multimedia translating stuff for, for ordinary uh, mm -hmm. viewers and listeners and people like me, the rover came down in what obviously was an ancient lake bed, and mm -hmm. you could see the, the, the ingress of the water and the delta in uh, what previously had, apparently had been a crater and where it comes out, and I'm thinking, wow, this doesn't look so different from lake beds no. on Earth. So we know there was, it was a lake at one time, and Perseverance now has the capability to actually drill into the planet for a little bit, not real deep, but to gather some samples, put them in tubes, store them away, and at some point we hope we can go pick those things up. But of course, in the meantime, we have certain ways to examine them through various cameras with uh, spectrography. Spectro spectrography. They, so yeah, essentially they're, they're shooting a laser at the rocks and based on different uh, responses that they get back visually, audibly, uh, you know, the data that it's collecting from that. It, they can it can help them determine what the composition of the rock is and help them choose which rocks they want to do a core sample drill into. I was going to say, yeah, she landed in Jezero Crater. That's the name of the crater that they chose for her to go into. And it is, if you see an aerial map, like you said, it's it's very obvious that it was water motion that carved out this crater. So the thinking was that if we put her there, she might find, hopefully, maybe, fossils of stromatolites, which when Mars potentially had water, we also know that stromatolites were forming at the same time on Earth, which it's, a, it's basically a bacterial buildup. Um, and the idea is maybe she'll be able to find something similar on Mars that we know was forming on Earth because that's good astrobiology science is looking for, you know, we're not going, we're not driving her into caves and looking for little green men. So that was why it was very exciting for them to get her to land in a spot that was so scientifically interesting, but traditionally we haven't been able to land rovers in such unique spots. So um, she was just decked out with the coolest, latest technology to get us into Jezero Crater, and she's been wandering around there for a year now. Excellent. Um, yeah. Excellent. Okay, let's play this interview. We'll come back okay. afterwards. <laughs> so I'm Space K Sarah. I go by Space K Sarah because I am a space fanatic. And I am so thrilled to have both of you here with me, Aaron and Lydia, um, who both work on the Perseverance rover. And so I would love for you both to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about what you do on Percy. Like Absolutely. So just like Sarah said, my name is Erin. Um, so I'm a PhD student at McGill University, which is up in Quebec in Canada. Uh, so I'm a fifth year PhD student, so a little late in my degree, wrapping up soonish. 
Um, I'm in a program called Earth and Planetary Science, and I've chosen to focus my research in the astrobiology field. So I'm primarily studying uh, regions on Earth that simulate other planets in some way so that we can um, understand the biology in those systems and use them as a blueprint to understand other planets. And because my passion is Mars, um, I've studied places specifically that look like the Martian surface here on Earth so that we can better direct perseverance towards the places on Mars uh, that will give us the best chance of finding signs of ancient life, which is the mission's primary objective on Mars. Um, so that's a little bit about me. Uh, on the rover, I joined the team on an instrument team called SuperCam. So if anybody has seen a picture of the rover, uh, right at the top, there's a big long mast. And then what you would imagine is kind of the Cyclops eye. That is the SuperCam instrument. And it is a bit of a Swiss army knife of science that does a lot of different techniques. Uh, it shoots lasers at rocks and collects that light back in a spectrometer. Because that that's not cool sounding at all. <laughs> shoots lasers. <laughs> it does. We shoot lasers at rocks on Mars. I do it from my bedroom. It blows my mind that this is something that you can do as a grad student. Um, but what that laser does is it, it gets cooler. It is a teeny tiny little explosion on the surface of the rock. Um, and as the light passes through that little tiny explosive burst, uh, that gives us information about the chemistry. We can also measure the mineralogy. Um, and also we take photographs. So we get really great information about the texture of the rocks, the color, how all the grains are fitting together. And all the scientists on the team then come together and analyze that whole suite of data to understand what makes up those rocks and how they formed. And that gives us, gives us a, a history of the planet to better understand it. So that's my main role on the team. But something that's really lovely about the Perseverance mission is they're very encouraging, especially to young scientists, to pick up other roles on the mission. So I also get to play um, targeting scientists. So sometimes I call in and I'm the expert on the line and I get to pick out the specific rocks that we're, gonna, we're going to analyze with all the instruments on the rover. So I get to come in and bring my scientific opinion and select the rocks that Perseverance is going to analyze. Sometimes I am um, the tactical documentarian, which means I'm the scientific note taker for the day. So I just get to sit as a fly on the wall, listen to all the other experts on the mission, discuss the science, and I just take mad notes so that it's um, codified for anybody in the future who wants to go back and, and read about the mission, go through our logs, go through the thinking process. Those notes are taken by people like myself and others on the mission. So Primarily, I'm, I'm with the SuperCam team, but NASA, the team is really incredible in giving us opportunities. And so I've trained for a couple of other of other roles and get to wear a couple different hats. Oh my God, that is so impossibly cool. I am in utter awe. Um, we also have with us Lydia, who also does work with Perseverance. And welcome, Lydia. Would you like to tell us what you do? Hi, yeah, uh, I'm Lydia, and I am a third-year PhD student at the University of Florida, um, I, my research is also focused on astrobiology and studying environments on Earth that sort of resemble environments on Mars. Um, I'm in the geology program here, and specifically, my re research focuses on finding molecules in uh, Earth rocks that look like molecules that we might look for on Mars to represent life. So all life that we know it on Earth is made up of organic molecules, which are molecules made up of carbon and hydrogen and oxygen and some nitrogen and sulfur. So I use rover-based techniques to look for these molecules in 
Earth rocks so that when we look for them in Mars rocks with the rovers, we know what we're looking for. I work primarily on the Sherlock team, which is a funny acronym that stands for the Scanning Habitable uh, Luminescence. Scanning Habitable Environments with Luminescence. NASA's so good at these uh, acronyms, by the way. Like, <laughs> take your acronyms. You yeah. know, you come up with the cool <laughs> word and put a meaning. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they, you know, like the Da Vinci Plus, when they announced that, it's like, I, don't ask me to remember all of that. You know, like. <laughs> yeah, I, they, uh, I can usually get the full acronym, but may, maybe not on a Saturday morning. Um, <laughs> it is okay. an acronym, and it is an instrument that is looking for um, signs of life on Mars. And yes, it does have a little uh, instrument that is part of the overall instrument that is also named Watson. So uh, Sherlock is looking for signs of my life uh, with perseverance. Uh, so that's something that's very exciting. Uh, I joined the mission not too long ago. I joined the mission about a year ago. So Percy's landing anniversary is really close to my joining the team anniversary. So that's really exciting as well. Both of you and what you do is so freaking cool. That to me is like rock star status. I have kind of not super technical questions for you because I am really interested in just kind of knowing more about your thoughts and your opinions. Um, so first of all, I do want to know, do either of you know, will she sing herself happy birthday on her anniversary like Curiosity does? That is a good question. I... We'll have to wait and see. My inkling yeah. is no. Uh, I think that the Curiosity yeah. Happy Birthday song, it happened a couple times. And then there's kind of these internal discussions of like, you know, it's actually kind of like labor intensive and takes a lot of power. <laughs> so it's like, um, so it's like, well, you know, maybe we want to focus on, you know, doing science and looking for signs of life. But so I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But, you know, NASA always surprises us. So they hide little messages in the rover. Exactly. So there's a little Easter egg. Right. I, and that was actually going to be my next question. So what were your favorite Easter eggs on her? Lydia, I'll start with you. Do you what was your favorite Easter egg of Percy? Because she had a lot. Well, the one I remember the most is uh, the parachute when it opened yes. up the red and white colors of the parachute as Percy was landing, um, spelled out uh, JPL, which is the uh, NASA center where a lot of the rover was uh, built. Um, so that, I thought that was really cool. And uh, there were a lot of people on the internet trying to decode what the parachute yeah, yeah. was for a couple days before they actually uh, gave everyone the answer. So I had some friends um, who are engineers who were working hard on decoding that. Oh, that's awesome. How about you, Erin? Uh, mine, uh, harkening back to uh, Lydia's uh, explanation of, of Sherlock and Watson, I get such a kick out of the fun of that instrument and it, its whole narrative arc of, of the, the Sherlock saga. So we've got Sherlock and Watson as the two primary instruments, and then one of their calibration targets. So one of the, the pieces of equipment on the rover that's used to make sure the instrument is operating as it should be, is a, a little teeny tiny, very fine lined maze. And they zoom in and take a photo of that and make sure it's resolved uh, crisp and clear. And so people can go home and do the maze. And it has a little um, silhouette of, of Sherlock Holmes in the middle. And I just think it it's so... <laughs> so rad to me that you have yeah Sherlock and Watson and their calibration target is a little puzzle to complete and it's just somebody put so much thought into 
the narrative arc of this instrument suite and it's just such an extra and I adore it. And every that time they incredible. calibrate their instrument, it's such a thrill to have those instruments come down because it's just a little reminder of how fun it is. It's just a I do. don't think I knew that one. It's because there's so many. They they put so many on her. Oh my God. I didn't know that one. That's incredible. That is so cool. Now I'm going to have to go look for pictures of that because that, right. It's so nerdy. I always tell people that don't you dare ever think that like engineers and scientists are dry and boring because they put so much creative energy into these different like secret messages and, and even just like witty, funny things like the the stickers of the of the rover family on her kind of like the car stickers of like you know a stick family but it's like a stick rover family i have one on my car now um so obviously covid has been a very impactful thing particularly on perseverance and like you were saying earlier Aaron you're you know shooting lasers at mars from your bedroom so what is a day in the life of your job like working on Mars. Um, I'm gonna start with you, Lydia. Like what what would you say a day in the life of working on Perseverance is kind of like for you? Awesome. Yeah. So uh like Aaron, I'm also a, a tactical documentarian, which means I will call onto the WebEx line and I will uh sit and take notes of the major scientific decisions made during the day. So we're not on Mars time anymore, which means we don't have to have meetings at four in the morning anymore because we have (laughs) reduced our timeline to such that, you know, we can get messages sent up to Percy at a reasonable time frame. And we kind of have more of a handle on this whole thing. So but we we do change the start time somewhat based on when the uh, satellites are able to send our messages up to Percy. And so sometimes our day will start at like nine in the morning. Sometimes we still have uh, days that start at around 5 p.m. and finish up around midnight, but we don't have anything really at four in the morning anymore. So for me, what that looks like is I call onto the WebEx line, maybe around 11 a.m. And then I go to the uplink kickoff meeting, which describes, you know, what we're planning on doing that day, what our uh, major decisions that we're going to make are where we are, um, what instruments we're planning on using. And uh, then we spend the next six hours refining that plan, making sure we know what rocks exactly we want to point our lasers at. And yeah, it usually involves a lot of tea, a lot of tea and Microsoft <laughs> Word documents. Nice. <laughs> How about you, Erin? What does a day in the life of working on Mars look like? Yeah, I mean, my workday looks very similar to Lydia's, so maybe I will just compliment her explanation with a little story about what actually doing it on Mars time was. Um, so for the often for the first 90 sols, which is a, a Martian day, is a sol, yep. so often for the first 90, it's really critical that we're in constant communication with the rover to make sure it's healthy, make sure none of those uh, <laughs> mechanics are, are stiff or getting cold on the surface. So it's important for us to be in constant contact And so the scientists and engineers back on Earth, we shift our timelines to live on the Martian day. And the Martian day is about 40 minutes longer than an Earth day. So our workday shifts forward by 40 minutes kind of each day. So if I start working at 9 a.m. one day, the next day I'll start working at about 9.40. And then the next day it'll be 40 minutes further in the future. And that marches forward until you're starting your shifts at 1, 2, 3 in the morning. Yeah. Um, And so... 
it was, it's, it's very strange living on the timeline of another planet, especially when, you know, the sunshine outside is not following the circadian rhythm I'm forcing myself to follow. So I sure. invested in a really great eye mask, really good <laughs> earplugs. And I, I had to schedule my sleep. My Google calendar just had these big black blocks where I told myself, this is where you need to sleep if you want to be awake during your, your shift. Um, and it was great because at the time I actually lived with an audio engineer and so he would have to play music out loud all throughout the day, his working day, while I was trying to sleep so that I could wake up from my Martian shift. And so that's why I had to invest in very good <laughs> earplugs. But yeah, the, the cadence of Mars time, what we were doing is the scientists, we would work the Martian night shift. And so what we would do is while the rover was sleeping on the surface of the planet, we would get all the data back from, from the previous day's work. We would analyze it. We would look at the scene. We would understand where the rover was, what its health status was. We would select the rocks. We'd give it a, we'd come up with a laundry list of activities we want to do the next day. So we'd spend the whole Martian night deciding what the, what the rover should do the next day. Then we would uplink those commands to the rover, send them over via the satellite network Lydia mentioned. And so when the rover woke up in the morning, it would have this list of activities to do. It would execute them and then send us back a report at the end of its day. We would wake up for the next Martian evening, <laughs> get yeah. that list of that report and, and leapfrog like that on and on and on. So we were working the Martian night shift and it was three months of living on the timeline of another planet. And so I'm actually a little grateful <laughs> that this actually happened in the pandemic because it made it very easy to just stay at home and live on the timeline of another planet, close my curtains. I wasn't missing out on anything. So I didn't have any, yeah. any FOMO. It was, so it was a little bit of a blessing in disguise. My city was actually under curfew at the time. Oh, wow. So I couldn't go yeah. outside anyway. So it was the perfect time to send my mind to another planet and live the Martian night shift. What would you say has been your favorite moment in Perseverance one year history and your least favorite moment so far? And I'll start with, uh, I mean, Aaron, if you want to go first, you can go first this time. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Um, probably very similar moments for favorite and least favorite. I'll start with my least favorite because it came first chronologically. And so one of, um, one of the incredible things about the Perseverance rover mission is it is the first step of a much larger program called, called Mars Sample Return. Mm -hmm. So Perseverance is driving around, and when we encounter a rock that is particularly compelling and exciting, um, we will drill into it, extract a small core sample, and store it inside of the rover. And in about, I mean, I guess a year from now, um, we're going to drop off a pile of rocks on the surface, and a future spacecraft will then travel to Mars, pick up that pile of rocks, and deliver it back to Earth so that um, scientists back here with all the power of our terrestrial laboratories can analyze these Martian samples. A very important, very exciting, very novel part of this mission. Um, mm -hmm. And it's huge. It's critical to the science that we want to do. It's kind of like an Apollo 11 era, but for planetary science, these are going to be the first samples of Mars that we have back on Earth where we know where they came from. But our first sample, when we drilled into Mars the first time, we were ecstatic. We were very excited. We retracted our drill looked inside and it was empty. Oh, and so the sample we had tried to collect, it was just, it was, it was gone. And it was, it was a couple days of, it wasn't chaos because it's very organized chaos, but there was a lot of, there was a lot of questions. Where, where did this rock go? We thought we'd picked it up. And so we, we backed the rover up a little bit. We took photographs of the whole area to see if we dropped it. And 
we couldn't see any evidence that the rock had had fallen or or uh, been dropped. So we eventually just had to conclude that it was very likely that the, the percussive motion of the drill had just ground the rock into dust and it had blown away. So our very first sample, our first attempt to bring a piece of Mars back to Earth had just dissolved and blown away just in the light Martian breeze. So <laughs> right. it was it was a bit incredible, but it was it was kind of disappointing. But you know, NASA, true to their spirit, it turned into an opportunistic sample. So we had this empty tube, but we sealed it shut anyway, and it's gonna be it's gonna come back to Earth as a as a sample of the Martian atmosphere. Oh. So we didn't well, get a rock in there, but now we have a exactly a wonderful sample of Martian air that we can measure and, and better understand the climate and how the atmosphere is developed. So in, in contrast, my then favorite moment of the mission was when we next tried to core and we were successful. We, we learned from that first attempt. We picked a rock that was looked harder, um, yeah. more cohesive, more structurally sound. For the second attempt, we wanted to be really sure it wasn't going to crumble and blow away. And sure enough, we drilled in. It was a beautiful, smooth core. It pulled out. It filled the tube. It sealed perfectly. Uh, we stored it in the rover. No fault. A completely, it, it was just incredible feat of engineering of this rover drilling into a rock and caching this sample on another planet 340 million kilometers away. Yeah. And it was just such an incredible moment in planetary science. And I can just imagine the number of, of PhD theses that will be written on this core sample sure. when it finally comes back. Sure. Knowing that I was a small part of getting it back here sure. is just and such a thrill. Yeah. To save on time, instead of asking you your, your least favorite and your most favorite, I'm going to ask this question to Lydia just instead. If you get the chance, if, and I think probably a lot of you will, get a chance to see these samples for real, finally, how do you think that's going to feel? How is that going to make you feel like seeing something actually in person as opposed to all these pictures you get back all the data you get back right you know it, it is real but it's kind of hard to connect with still images and stuff like that versus seeing something three-dimensionally in front of you how do you think that's going to make you feel yeah i think that's going to make me feel amazing so i actually have a little piece of mars already so i have I a too. little piece of a motion meteorite <laughs> The not not know. from perseverance, not from perseverance, but right. this was an undergraduate graduation gift from a family member. But so um, right. there are us. Uh, yeah, I have one of those. It it looks just like that. Right. I, I have mine too right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for those who don't know, so sometimes when um, meteorites like hit other planets, uh, so lots of craters on Mars, and some of those impacts uh, spew up bits of rock into so far into the atmosphere of Mars. Mars's atmosphere is really thin so that some of these pieces of rock are able to escape into space. And so there are some meteorites floating around out there that were originally from the surface of Mars and were blown up there by another impact. Sometimes these will hit Earth. Sometimes we get pieces of the moon this way from impacts that hit the moon and then bits of the moon end up on Earth. And so these are one of the uh, rarer types of meteorites are called lunar meteorites, meteorites and uh, Martian meteorites. And so you can actually buy these online uh, for, for not that much money. <laughs> so you, you can buy like a really small one, I think, for like about 40 bucks, maybe 50 bucks. And so yeah. I have a little piece of Mars on my windowsill. I, <laughs> I think get, getting a, that's not really something I, I really use for science because it's been for my science, other people right. do study Martian meteorites. Um, but for me, that one has been so altered by uh, heat 
from multiple impacts from being impacted, sent up into space and then falling onto Earth again, uh, that I don't think it really has organic molecules, which is what I'm looking for. Um, so I think to have a pristine piece of Mars that I'd be able to run experiments on, oh man, that, that would be amazing. I Do wouldn't think for you're going to cry. I Probably. feel like I would cry. I, yeah, seriously, like, I think I would cry. I cried when Perseverance landed. So oh, me too. I, me too. I, I, think I cried when we first heard the microphone recording of the wind. Yeah. So if I ever, like, am in the same room as a Martian sample, I'm just going to be a scientific mess I, just, of emotion. Mess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The wind yeah. audio was amazing because for me, that was something that made the rover actually feels so real. Like it's one thing like mm -hmm. uh, seeing pictures, but for me, just like hearing like the, the wind like move over the surface of Mars and be able to like hear that and close my eyes and imagine myself there, that just made it so much more real. Yeah. I'm, I'm a very audible, audio oriented person. So okay. yeah, definitely. It, it, it grabbed another sense that we haven't had a chance to utilized before in exploring Mars, if you will. Yeah, I really, yeah. Same, like when she landed, I I just, I was just a mess. It was um, such an exciting time. All right. I have one more question. Uh, this got way more scientific than I actually anticipated it to be. You guys are phenomenal. Like you both have solid SciComm careers for sure on top of your already spectacular careers. <laughs> um, okay. This is extremely hypothetical. I'm going to go on the record and say that this is not like, this isn't real. I'm just making up a scenario just for fun. Say a sample comes back and it's got a virus and we have a zombie outbreak. Don't worry, the humans survive. But then a movie's made. Who plays you in the movie? Me. <laughs> you play yourself. You're not yeah, going to have another yes, actor play I, I or actress play. during non-pandemic times, so I, I can't imagine any like production <laughs> about me that I wouldn't play myself. <laughs> She's like, "Oh my god, how dare you imply that I would have someone fill in for me? I would do it." <laughs> and it has to be well, a musical. Talented. It has to be a musical, though. Oh, okay. Wow. So, oh, okay. okay. Cool <laughs> so you're going to be like Psycomers astrobiologists and actresses who also sing i love this yeah like that. that can be exclusive to lydia i have no musical bones in my body <laughs> <laughs> not participate well in the oh maybe I'll, we'll have a relief well maybe we'll make it a series instead and we'll have that one token musical episode right and that'll be your to shine uh, who would play you Aaron if there was oh, a movie my. <laughs> my gosh I don't the first that comes to mind is Jennifer Lawrence because she was just such a great uh, yes. uh astrophysics student in don't look up I think she she captured some of the uh drudgery of grad I don't that's <laughs> great but there's moments of darkness and and difficulty and I think she captured some of that vibe really yeah. well at times. Um, like same. So, I feel you. Same. Yeah. And she she was very good at just looking, you know, a little wide-eyed at some of the reactions she gets. So I think she would be, I think she's a great uh, okay. popular scientist. I love this. Like I said, we're all apparently huge Mars and Perseverance nerds here. So this is like so awesome. I think what we should do too to promote this is like, I'll have, you send me a picture of our pieces of Mars and we'll be like, <laughs> are, like are, you, are you really a Mars nerd if you don't own a piece of Mars? Yeah, what are like, what are the, this is a niche concentration of people yeah. like, on the call has. I've got 
got a Martian meteorite too. Right? Who is also on the mission also has a Martian meteorite. In oh her my office. god! So this is the rite of passage. If you're really a Mars fan, you have to have a piece. I also yeah. have uh, my I have my Mova globe of Mars too. So. I've got a globe too. Oh my god! I don't have a globe. I'm sorry. Lydia. Oh, <laughs> That's so good. All right, Lydia, you're going to need a globe. I guess I'm going to have to get one. That looks so you cool. You will. Wow. It's <laughs> and so it, and cool. it spins. Wow. Yeah, I want one now. <laughs> I'm going okay. to buy one for myself this afternoon. <laughs> um, yeah, or right, we'll throw out a plug to Mova and be like, send her a globe. <laughs> awesome. Okay, thank you guys so much for talking with me. And do you want to shout out like your Twitter handles? If if people want to follow your what you're doing, go for it. Sure. Yeah, if, if people want to follow along with pretty regular, semi-serious kind of comedic updates about the Perseverance mission, <laughs> I'm at Aaron Space Case. So that's right. E-R-I-N Space Case. Yeah. yeah. And I post pretty infrequently, but I am uh, Lydia, at Lydia Kibra. Well, thank you both so, so much. This is so cool. I honestly feel like we could do more. Like, we could do more. Yeah. I see potential here. More than happy to. Yeah. All right. That was great. Uh, One thing I wanted to ask you, Easter eggs. Yes. Uh, Little hidden markers and symbols and signs put in by the crew. Yeah. Kind kind of playful. Yeah. 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 And the the term is borrowed, I'd say, from the Marvel comic movies. Um, That's kind of a, a borrowed slogan uh easter eggs meaning like hidden things that you might not even know exactly what it means but um yeah that was something i wanted to know what their favorite easter eggs were because i have favorite easter eggs on (laughs) perseverance and mine is morse code by the way Uh, because i I am fluent in that language that was one of curiosities yes she had morse code in her wheels but the easter egg that was shared in this interview i did not know that one existed that was a new one for me that someone shared their favorite. Erin sh- shared her favorite Easter egg. So it, it was, you learn new things every every time you talk Absolutely. to somebody. Absolutely, <laughs> you certainly do. You're interviewing two women. Yeah. And we're, we're still, you know, the, the, the film Hidden Figures about the African-American women mm-hmm. who were prominent in the, the moon missions and uncelebrated at the time, uh, mathematicians. Uh, this is still some, I mean, engineering particularly is still yeah. somewhat of a male-dominated field. Have, have, they ta- have you talked to women about what it's like to work in this environment? Because obviously, as we know, it's changing. It but is. it hasn't changed, you know, certainly not proportional to the, po- to the population. Yeah, I, I know actually um, a, another science communicator who she was an engineer before she switched to science communication, not because of any difficulties that she had it just kind of was her career path however she speaks to often about how when she would go to her uh engineering classes at mit she would be the only girl in the room Mm -hmm. and so yeah there's still definitely some some barriers there when it comes to the stem fields the studies have shown still that if you ask a child to draw a picture of a doctor or an engineer they're almost always going to draw a male mm-hmm. figure first. So there's um, still still some work we have to do. And that's, yeah, absolutely why this was so cool to talk to two very young, accomplished women who were just 
uh, you know, they it was so clear to me that they love what they do. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes. And um, and that's so exciting and so inspirational to share with, uh, you know, little girls around the world and show them like this is what an engineer can look like. This is what a scientist can look like, yeah. and that's also something that I really enjoy doing as a science yeah. communicator. Absolutely. So, what's I mean, in your heart of hearts, <laughs> what's next for Percy? What, 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 and I know everybody at NASA is thinking, okay, what, to, and graduate students and scientists all over the world, this is such a big collaborative effort. Yeah. Everybody's thinking, what can we find, or what, what should we look for? In, in the you know at least the second half or she may live longer than that oh yeah of the mission what are we looking for I was gonna say that is one thing that I think NASA is pretty good at is that they build these crafts that last way longer <laughs> than their missions are originally designed to do I don't know what's you know what's next for perseverance one of the unique things about her that no, uh, no other rover previously had was that she had a small helicopter go with her. So Ingenuity is um, doing also exceptionally better than you know designed or thought that she would last. So Ingenuity just did her 19th flight. Right. And, and she's flying in a thin atmosphere, yeah, which is very, difficult. Yeah, it's very difficult to design and test her. And that was, I mean, honestly, the only mission objective for Ingenuity was to fly. Like mm -hmm. that was it. Mm -hmm. So now she's doing scouting missions to see you know, if there are other interesting places for per Perseverance to go. I I don't know. I, I would think that they're obviously going to keep trying to push the limits of where they want to get this craft to go and take samples. There are obviously only so many sample tubes. They're extremely sterilized sample tubes. That um, So there's a limited amount. I, I would think that they're, you know, very carefully analyzing for the next year where they want to finish taking the rest of these samples and maybe going into places that they hadn't thought they would go before based on what Ingenuity is sending back. Now, how far has the rover gone in terms of travel distance from its landing? You know, um, there is actually a map. You can go online and see like where she's been, where she currently is, um, where she's planning to go. She, to my knowledge, I can't remember the distance, but she kind of did a little bit of a circle. She did a little bit of a loop. And now I know she's heading up towards the like base of the delta um so she landed like smack in the delta kind of in the middle still a safe spot and now they're trying to get her more to cliffy rockier area um something that's very interesting people don't know too is there are so many different topography features to mars um and there are huge sandy areas that rovers can't drive through so they can't just drive like straight shots across different areas on the map because there are some spots where um i don't remember if it was spirit or opportunity but one of those two got stuck for like months in a sand pit and they had to wiggle the wheel over and over and over and over and over and over until it finally was able to get out so wow. they're yeah, you have to be very careful where you where you send your rovers because they could get stuck or their wheels can break or <laughs> we want them to keep going because there's so much more to find. There is. Okay. There's so many questions. All right. Space case Sarah, S A R A H with an H. With yes. an H on all <laughs> social media platforms. Look yes. for her. We're going to do more um, as as you may have heard earlier uh, Sarah's going on a uh, a Mars simulation mission in mm -hmm. Utah yeah. later this spring which will be kind of cool and so she'll cool. be reporting <laughs> from the uh, the Mars Desert Research Station yes and so we will we will see you again thank you so yes, much thank you
The Webhawk News Podcast is an independent production from the University of Wisconsin, Whitewater. I'm Jim Cates.